0: Let me pray for myself again, because I need all the prayer I can get, so, and all of us to, uh, to hear the word of the Lord today. Um, oh, Jesus, thank you for every good thing you've given us, and I just pray that you would speak through me, and that, uh, nothing, uh, but what is edifying and what is good would, would, um, come out of my mouth, and it would encourage, and, um, Edify and exhort and challenge uh, your people, and they would know your love, most of all, which surpasses knowledge. In Jesus' name, we pray. Well, I <clears throat> was telling Phil there that I got a call from Kevin er- earlier this week, and I was, you know, so overjoyed to hear that he was uh, you know, had a new child and everything coming, that uh, I couldn't say no, so here I am. Uh, so, hopefully, uh, what I have to share today is uh, going to help you. <clears throat> so, you know, one of my favorite books is Augustine's Confessions. Uh, it's, you know, 5th century. It's, it's one of the first biographies, autobiographies ever written. And in it, you know, he's confessing things. That's why I call it confession. So one of the questions about the book is, What what exactly is he confessing? Confessing. Obviously, he's confessing all of his sins. He even tries to confess his sins all the way back to infancy, which is kind of interesting to read. Um, But uh, he's also confessing about God at the same time. So in a way, the book is, is really it's about God. And the entire book is a prayer to God. And at the same time, it's a revelation of himself before God. And that's essentially what I want to talk about today um, in this, from this passage. Um, really, how do we get to know God more and, and also ourselves? Because those two things are linked together. You can never really know God without knowing yourself at, correctly, and you also vice versa. Uh, you can't know yourself without knowing that in light of who God is. You know, which is why the scripture is so important, as God has spoken to us and revealed himself, and revealed who we are, and also who we're supposed to be before him. So let me just read a little um, passage. It's kind of, you can think of it as another prayer. Um, maybe my whole sermon today will just be prayers, but from Augustine, and um, just it illustrates kind of what I'm saying here. May I know you who know me. May I know as I am known. Power of my soul, enter into it and fit it for yourself so that you may have and hold it without spot or blemish. That is my hope. That is why I speak. In this hope I am placing my delight, when my delight is in what it ought to be. So, and at this point, he's kind of talking about, like, well, why is he even writing this book on confessions, you know? People are might just want to hear about all of his gruesome sins and things like that. Um, he's concerned, you know, that they might not want to hear it for the right reasons. Um, so... To, to proceed why then should i can, c- be concerned for human readers to hear my confessions it is not they who are going to heal my sicknesses the human race is inquisitive about other people's lives but negligent to correct their own why do they demand to hear other <coughs> other people <coughs> excuse me why do they demand to hear from me what i am when they refuse to hear from you what they are and when they know me talking about myself how can they know if I'm telling the truth when no one knows what's going on in a person except the human spirit within? But if they were to hear about themselves from you, they could not say the Lord is lying. To hear you speaking about oneself is to know oneself. Moreover, anyone who knows himself and says, this is false, must be a liar. But love believes all things, at least among those love has bonded to itself and made Love. Nevertheless, make it clear to me, physician of my intimate self, that good results from my present undertaking. Stir up the heart when people read and hear the confessions of my past wickednesses, which you have forgiven and covered up, and grant to me happiness in yourself, transforming my soul by faith and your sacrament. Prevent their heart from sinking into this sleep of despair and saying, It is beyond my power. On the contrary, the heart is aroused in love of your mercy and the sweetness of your grace, by which every weak person is given power, while dependence on grace produces awareness of one's own weaknesses. So, as we look at St. Paul, we're really going to find the same themes here. He's going to be talking about how do we know God and thus know ourselves, and also how do we see ourselves in light of God and thus know God. Um, that's kind of the question here that we'll seek to answer. How do we know God? How do we know ourselves? And so the Greek, Greek mind at this time period, um, if, if, the average Greek, uh, you know, this is the New Testament's written in Greek. Um, Ephesians is a part of... Uh, well, actually Asia Minor, but it would have been considered Greek at that time. Um, If you asked them, how do you know God? What do you know about God? They would have said, "Uh, I don't know, like a bunch of weird myths, and maybe there's something moving everything, moving the world. You know, they wouldn't have known much about God. But if you'd ask them about knowing yourself, they, they would have gotten really interested, because a Greek saying is, know thyself. It was inscribed on the Uh, oracle of delphi that would be where you go to maybe hear from the god apollo about you know all these various questions you might have so know thyself is it would have been you know popular but as i mentioned you know the christianity is coming in here with its jewish roots and saying well you can't really know yourself unless you know god you can't know yourself without god Um, on some level you'll be blind Lots of other Christian thinkers, as I mentioned, St. Augustine, also John Calvin says this very clearly, and Thomas Merton said the same thing. So if we have an incorrect view of ourselves, put it another way, put it negatively, that's going to bleed into our understanding of God. We'll never see God right if we have a poor view of who we are as an image bearer of God. It's like mixing dirt into water, you know. It'll permeate, all, the dirt permeates all the water. It's hard to separate. And then you start to see God usually as a tyrant of some kind. <laughs> Sometimes a benevolent grandfather in heaven, which is also a false view of God. So we've got to avoid those two extremes. And this passage really helps us to do that. So I really put it forward, not just to hear it read in church one time this week and hear me talk about it, but you know, meditate, read this passage a few times this week and roll it around in your mind. Let it sink in there because... There's so many beautiful, fascinating parts of this passage. And as we go through, it's going to be almost a little bit like a shotgun because there's so many truths that Paul wants. It's almost like an explosion of truth about who God is and who we are. Um, So I can't really touch over everything. It's going to be kind of a flyover. But uh, I'm going to really touch on the main theme, knowing God, knowing self, especially in light of God as our Father, right, and ourselves as children of God. That is the core of the Christian life. You've just reached the, the summit. You've climbed up the mountain. You get up there and basically they say, welcome, child of God. You're like, oh, I knew that when I started. No, you didn't, um, because it's the deepest thing to know, and you can never fully know it. So um, first I'm just going to kind of go through the passage a little, point out some details, and I'm kind of a, you know, I like, like to read I'm Of a thinker, so I'm gonna go through a little bit of this and then I'm gonna talk about how it's relevant and and how we should apply it to our lives. Really how to boil it down. One of the things interesting about Ephesians is that you know, unlike a lot of Paul's letters, Ephesians wasn't doesn't seem to be written to correct any problems. You know, if you read Corinthians, there's all these problems he's trying to correct, you're like, hey, you know, you probably shouldn't marry. Your uh, father's wife, you know, you know, let's correct that guy. <clears throat> this one, you don't see any of that. It's just a, a kind of constitution of God's love and purpose for us in Christ in the church. Um, so it's a great one to read and, and just meditate. It's very short. You probably could read it in 20 minutes, the whole book. Um, and it's a great one to stir up gratitude and love for God and knowledge of who we are as children of God, and also how to pray. There's these beautiful prayers in, in this book. Uh, sometimes, Paul gets a little carried away, and he writes like a whole page, and it's one sentence. Um, so apparently, St. Paul would have failed uh, fifth grade writing class, but part of it, he's got so much to say to us, right? It's just a flood of, of, of love, for uh, for god and us coming out um you know so don't let that sort of trip you up as we go through The, the main thing in this passage is you know you're loved by god unconditionally loved by god he's lavished his love on you in christ and in a way it's almost like let us just count all the ways he's loved us so that's that's what I'm going to be harping on today until you're tired of hearing me. Uh, the Lord wants wants us to know wants us to know in this chapter that we are loved, we are chosen, delighted in, precious children of God. Okay. So it's okay to smile, all right? Because He loves you so much, you can't even fathom it. Be, it's beyond comprehension, as as St. Paul says in chapter three of Ephesians. The love of Christ surpasses knowledge. You know, we we usually hear this kind of stuff, and it's like a bumper sticker, you know. It's like, eh, eh, eh. We almost treat this truth, I think, functionally and myself included, as if it were below our understanding, as if it's easy to understand. Really, it's so great that we can't fit it into our head. It's more like a bat trying to look at the sun. You know, the bat does not have the ability to take in the light of the sun. And in the same way, we don't have the ability to take in the light that we are God's children, loved unconditionally before at the foundation of the world, um, cherished, delighted in, rejoices over us with singing. You know, we, we just can't take it in. It's like trying to download, you know, a million gigabytes into your iPhone. It just, how do you do that? It's impossible. It's impossible. But thankfully, God has said there's a way. There's a way for this to be communicated to our hearts, not just our heads. And that's the Holy Spirit, right? Paul says the love of God is poured out like a river in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. He actually says it's already been poured out, which is weird, you know, because most of us walk around like it's not true. Um, It's already been poured out. So we can ask the Holy Spirit, pour this out. Reveal this love of God to me. Even though I'm broken, even though I don't, I'm not worthy. Even though I have all these problems, I have this problem, this problem, this problem that needs to be taken care of first. Not really, because until we you know we're children of God, all those problems, you know, take on that proportion. That's just they 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 become things that, that if we see them in light of the love of God, you know, they're, they're just small little pebbles. They're they're nothing. Compared to this ocean of God's love for us, so that's really good news. You know, we can simply ask our Father, like Father, help me, like help me know you love me. I don't know it. Maybe your father or your mother or one of your parents could not communicate to you that love and unconditional acceptance that they. They just didn't have the capacity. Maybe they didn't have that from their parents, and they didn't have from their parents, all the way back to Adam and Eve, for all we know. You know but there's a way. There's a way for the Holy Spirit to make this known. Jesus, show me how precious I am to you. Show me that you delight and love me. In a way, this passage is more like a symphony than... I don't know, your average passage of scripture, it gives the movements of, you know, past, present, and future of us in Christ. The love, the symphony of God's love going on from all eternity to eternity. This infinite love of God it flows out of the, the three persons of the Trinity. You know, by which everything was created. God didn't have to create. We don't, I mean. I know some people who believe God had to create, but I don't think he had to create. I believe he chose to create. He cho- but it flows out of this infinite family called God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This perfect. He doesn't need nothing, but it just flows out in perfect harmony to us to make us his images, his, his icons, his little statues, so to speak proclaiming his praise his children kings and queens There's another way to look at the idea of image of god it's kind of like uh, back in the olden days in the ancient mesopotamian uh part of the world if you said someone was an image of god you'd be saying he was the king right and only there's only like one king in one area right and they fight each other all the time well genesis says actually sorry to tell you this guys you're all kings You're all queen. God made you to be all kings and queens. His children. Why does he love us? Here's an interesting way to look at it. We reflect that glory of the Trinity. We reflect that glory of God. We were made in his image, men and women we reflect that infinite love God has for himself for what is most beautiful and he poured that out in creating us like an artist right an artist has to spend all this time getting every little detail perfect he made us and he said very good not kind of good not, eh, it's kind of junk very good So let me just really quick run through, um, fly by here, enumerate some of the things he says he's done for us in Jesus Christ, in the gospel. Um, He says he's chosen us in grace to be loved forever as God's children, with all the rights and the benefits that that entails. So we're blessed with every spiritual blessing, Chosen before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. That's, by the way, that's the image of a sacrificial offering in the Old Testament. Uh, the, the offering had to be holy and blameless without blemish, right? So he's made us to be offerings that we offer ourselves back to him in love. Um, he predestines us to adoption as his sons, being accepted and giving grace in the one God loved Jesus Christ. Uh, By the way, don't get too hung up on all the predestination stuff. You know, obviously people have been trying to figure it out for a really long time and uh, haven't gotten very far. So, you know, that doesn't mean that you're robots or whatever and you don't have free will. It just means that God, in some unfathomable way, has reached out to you and love, has chosen you. Those you Those of us who respond to his call. He's given us redemption through His blood. I mean, God Himself shed His own blood for us. God Himself shed His became a man and shed His own blood for us. Wow. Uh, and he, it says the Father lavishes grace, making known to us with all wisdom and insight. God's no dummy, right? He, he has designed this in infinite wisdom. He's revealed that mystery to us. And He's taken... A way, he found a way to renew all the cosmos, all things through Jesus Christ. If we fell in Adam, but in Jesus Christ, all things are being made new and will be made new one day. He's defeated all. And another part of that, Paul's going to talk later. He's defeated all our enemies. He, he Basically, he took them back to the woodshed. He taught them a lesson. He cut them down to size. They thought they were winning. He pulled the wool, you know, he pulled the... Uh, blanket out from under them the wool off their eyes that's pretty cool and all things accomplished for us for the counsel of his will destining and appointing us to be the praise of his glory your being and my being we are made not just to be like martha's running around and doing all these good things to be the praise of his glory to live every part of us um, reflecting this beauty of god right like an artist remember um and also he said it says he had so, so much here you know <laughs> really uh you know i remember an old um, preacher i used to listen to uh he spent like three years preaching through uh, this book of ephesians so like verse by one verse and then the second verse and i'm like gosh so we're just doing infinite verses in one week so um you know it says he's sealed us with the holy spirit after we believe the gospel sealed us with the holy spirit you know that's that back then the seal would be like you know if you were say an important person you'd have a seal and you seal your letter and that represents who you are you know god has stamped us with his nature he's making us into his nature by the holy spirit through believing and you know also part of that is our baptism you know it comes through our baptism the uh, here's another interesting thing. Here, this whole prayer is kind of like a, um, a, a this this whole section, the first section, three through fourteen, it's it's like a prayer uh, that you would offer at a synagogue if you were Jewish. You know, uh, blessed be the Lord God, um, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's it's Paul is is not just writing this; he's calling us into worship of God. He's calling us to be. God's children and to worship as we're reading and meditating on this word. And you know, he, he says over and over, and again, there's so many facets, I can't hit them all. He says nine times in Christ, or in him, in the beloved. It's all in Christ. We have a union with Christ, right? We've somehow called to abide in him. Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. You'll know, bear fruit. You know, apart from me, you can do nothing. Right? Even the good things you've done you didn't even know. Christ was working in you. Sorry to take away the glory from us. And then, see now this is when I, I kinda get excited because in 15 through 17 he starts praying for him again. He says, I give thanks to you. I give thanks to God for you. And I pray that the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him which is more valuable than all the treasures of the earth. One drop of knowledge of God, right, to our little pea brains. It's more valuable than your entire 401k or, you know, the salary of Bill Gates or whatever. Um, we just tend to not have eyes to see the, the value, the glory of God, the knowledge of our Father. So then he goes on, though. He doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just say, some people say, well, yeah, you've got to know God, know God. I want to know Jesus. I want to know God. Well, he also wants us to know ourselves in God. He says in, in 15 to 17, the spirit of wisdom, revelation, knowledge of God, oh, sorry, 18 through 19, he says um, that you might know the hope of his calling, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and the immeasurable greatness of his power in us believe you know he says our eyes the eyes of our heart our, our, our heart is like the center of our being our eyes of our heart need to be enlightened illuminated to see these things to see essentially that God as to, to put it um, in the bumper sticker way uh, God don't make junk basically he has called you to be his child, to sit on his lap. He has, believe it or not, you are God's inheritance. You. All of us together, corporately, but you are God's inheritance. And he's put the infinite power of God in you. The same power that raised Jesus from the the grave is working in us. But we usually don't have eyes to see that. You know, we don't need... You know Tony Robbins empowerment seminars. All we need is to know the power of Jesus that dwells in us, to have that illuminated, and it's perfectly fine to ask Him to it because we can't do it. We can't do it apart from His grace. We can't do it apart from His Spirit illuminating. We, to know it in your head is not fully to know it yet. Um, to memorize it even you, you have we have to feel it, and the only way to feel it is for Him to touch us, you know, to transform us from the inside. You know, the Old Testament, what's the big promise? Oh, I'm gonna give you a new covenant. And um, in that covenant, you're gonna have a new heart. You're gonna have, I'm gonna put my righteousness, my laws, in your heart. You know, if God don't make junk, but if you are a little junkie, I will clean you up. I will make you my inheritance. I will make you my bride. I will make you my child. What father, you know, is content with his child, you know, simply running around with poop in his diaper for the rest of his life? You know, I've got a two, two and two and a half year old, which you know, that's what he does. You know, but when he's twenty, if he were running around with poop in his diaper, we'd have, you know, I'd be distraught, right? Now, that happens, of course, but, you know, not everyone. um, There's situations like, exceptions like, but God wants us to be this beautiful bride, this beautiful child, this beautiful family he's called us to be. But we have to have eyes to see it. You know, this is the weird thing here. The God who made everything. So let's just stand back for a second. The God who made everything. Um, I actually did a little Google search today, I just typed in how many stars are there. Um, So there's 100 billion stars, the creator who needs nothing created this universe, 100 billion stars only in the Milky Way galaxy, Um, right, so then you can extrapolate. There's 10 trillion galaxies. So if we want to figure out how many stars there are, there is one septillion stars. So that's a one to the 24th power. That's one with a 24 zeros after it. That's the God who wants to have you for his treasure and me. It's like a bat looking at the sun. I mean, it's just like, I mean, it's like, how do you even comprehend one with 24 zeros? You can't comprehend an infinite God. A God who has no limits. I mean, 1 to the 24th, that's a limit. In God, there's no limits. So what I'm getting at here, God is glorious, obviously, but I think a lot of times we fail to see the glory he's put in us. And our neighbor, you know, our neighbor as well. We downgrade our neighbor. We don't see how glorious he So C.S. Lewis once wrote, the following. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. Speaking metaphorically, by the way. To remember that the dullest and the most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as we now meet, if at all only in a nightmare. All day long we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or the other of these destinations." It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, loves, all plays, and politics. There are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations and cultures and arts and civilizations, these are mortal, but their life is, is to ours as the life of a gnat. It is immortals with whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. So that's all of us in this room today. I mean, we're either going to be an immortal horror, something that that, that in your worst nightmares you you, you couldn't fathom, or we're going to be everlasting splendors. And he hasn't destined you and me to be immortal horrors. You know, that would be our choice. We would be saying, no, no, thank you very much. He's called us to be his inheritance. Paul proclaims uh, later on throughout the 23-23, Christ's victory over all the rulers and authorities. But what does that mean? Well, this is the Jewish way of saying the demonic hierarchies that exist in this world, that are behind all the wars and the evils that we see and we blame people for. Well, behind that, you peer, pull back the um, curtain, there's these creatures that are invisible, intelligences that are manipulating. Basically, Jesus has taken these, he has exposed them for what they are. It's a farce. It's a farce. This, this is false power plays and all that. Jesus at the cross basically said, no, I, am, I was crucified, but I'm innocent. You know, so we can't really go back to to, to the things that drive the, all the machinations of the nations, you know. What what brings the co- what brings a nation together? Okay, it's not love and harmony. Uh, it, what brings the world together is not peace and and, and and ice cream. What brings the world together is a common demonization of something. <laughs> and and they basically go after people, um, scapegoat them. And then that brings everyone together. Yay! Now we have a common enemy. And now we, uh, you know. But Jesus said, "No. Look, I was scapegoated for you. I've exposed this all as an illusion. And so He's defeated the the demons behind this this charade. And so we don't have to fear them anymore. We don't have to fear the nations. The, the nations are not gods. Um, these demons are not gods. We don't have to worship them anymore. You know, if you were in Ephesians, your neighbor would be worshiping a demon. You know, I mean, that's just." If they weren't a Christian, they would be worshiping some demon or other, right? But he's saying, no, all these these demons were destroyed at the cross. I mean, not totally. They were were sort of disarmed. Um, And here's what I want to get. That's for you and me that he did that. It's the same theme. He loves us, and he did this for us. To show his great love, he has disarmed. He has defeated our enemies once and for all. And now we can kind of sit back and laugh at them and just, you know, enjoy the good things God's given us. So how can we make this hit home a tad more? I know this has probably been a little abstract for the last 10 minutes. Um, You know, these things all seem like nice spiritual things, I'm sure. But deep down, we all know our own brokenness, our barrenness, our our broken dreams, our, our difficulties, sicknesses, whatever we've had to go through, loss of loved ones, and, you know, our fears and our anxieties, our anger. We have, you know, we're not all just sort of angels in here, right? We all have troubles. We live in the flesh here. Um, So how do all these spiritual words and concepts, um, you know, hit home? Well, you know, Jesus uses a really good parable, I think. Um, It's probably the most famous parable of all. I think this kind of illustrates how we respond to this information, this, this you know, God loves you. He's your father. He's calling, he, you know, run to him. He runs to you. It's the parable of the prodigal son. And I think in the parable of the prodigal son, we can see how we re- options for how we respond to this, this idea that he loves us and wants to be our father. So you guys remember the story and the younger son. He asks for a little um, inheritance early so he could leave. He wastes it on wild living parties. Um, he runs to the end of his resources and to the point where he's working for a farmer and he want, he's so hungry he wants to eat what the pigs are eating, you know, and the stinky, sloppy pigs. So he comes to himself. He says, well, man, shoot, even my father's servants have got better than this. I'm going to go home, ask my father, make me your servant. I'm not worthy to be your son anymore. So he gets up hobbles on home and he says his father saw him from a long way off had compassion he was waiting for him he ran to him embraced him and started kissing him over and over and over what uh and then he starts going through his speech the son starts saying well father i'm not worthy and you'll make me he doesn't really even get to finish the speech because the father says bring out the best robe put it on him put a ring on his finger Sandals on his feet. Bring out the best, the best calf we have, and kill it right now. We're having a party, you know. That would be like once a year kind of thing, right? We're having a party of our lives because my son was dead and is alive again. Was lost and is found. My son, you know, those of us who are parents, that that can mean something very deep to us, right? He's my son. You know, give that ring back to him. That's that. Know, full identity as a son—that that signet ring. Um, so so really, right there, you have two responses already. You have the first response, the kind of distracted, worldly—you know—seeking our own pleasures. Uh, that's the first part of the story. The second response is that repentance, that coming home, and then you have the third response, the older brother. You know, when he sees all this partying and stuff going on. You know he's pretty frustrated. He's pretty angry about it. He's out there with a folded, with a furrowed brow and folded arms, and he's saying, "Not today." I've been working, I've been working, working for you for years. And when did you even give me a little goat to play with, to have a party with my friends? But here, this son who wasted your property on prostitutes—of um, course, did he even know it was prostitutes? No. I mean, he's just assuming there, but. He wasted your property on parties and wild living has come home you killed the fatted calf for you know what's he saying father you don't even you don't love me look how hard i've been working look how good of a person i am and look what and look you're blessing that person over there who isn't even trying Does that sound familiar um i think if you've been a christian for a while you can resonate with the older brother too you know because we got problems Got problems. Um, so, sorry, I've been kind of freestyling it for the last couple pages here. Let me let me find where I am. Um, you know, so we have three three responses. We got the first one, obviously, the worldly live for your own pleasures, but that's going to end in recognizing that one day you're going to die, and it's all going to end. And what's all this life for, right? And you're going to come to the end of your resources. Maybe many many of us have gone through that on some level and we realize this world is nothing if there's no god and there's no god who loves me like like christianity teaches you know so we come to the end of our resources so it's a dead end right we know that but and really the ideal response is the when the son comes home you know i'm not worthy to enter into, you know i'm not worthy lord but um, take me back at the same time a lot of us do what that son does we want we want God we want God to kind of demote us and make us just a servant in his house right I'm not worthy to be a son I'm not worthy to be a daughter I could just slave away in the house and that's good enough for for you know one is the likes of me You know, sometimes it could be like a little game in some Christian circles. You know, who's the greatest sinner? You know, like, oh, you, you did that. Well, let me tell you, I did something even worse than that. And, you know, it's almost like uh, the more sinful you can show you are, the more holy you are or whatever. You know what I mean? Like crazy games like that, right? It doesn't matter because all that is a drop in an ocean of God's love, which has completely consumed all of our sin. No matter, even if you were to become the most horrible sinner you could imagine, You know, a a Hitler or a Stalin or a Mao or a, you know, somebody. That would be a drop in the ocean of God's grace, that he's able to consume that away and put you back in his good graces because of what his son did for us, because of his giving his only son. So that's kind of the ideal place to come back and then also be able to say, I am his son. This is awesome. He's rejoicing over me with singing and he's throwing a party for me, for me, not just other people, for me. And that's, this doesn't just relate to new Christians. That's another common misconception. I mean, this is the picture of the loving father that Jesus gave us. You know, if you want to, if it help, helps me personally to think of this as Jesus, the son, the perfect image of this father, who runs to me, who who ran to the cross to give himself for the likes of me, um, and who rejoices over me with singing, who is my Father, um, who is that perfect image of the Father in heaven. So that's what we got. But a lot of times, you know, we get caught up in response three, the older son. The older son's response is basically to somehow believe that if he works enough, if he does enough, then God will, re, uh, God will, you know, you know, love him. And, uh, you know, and then he maybe, see, what we try to do is we, we try to do this thing where we create our own little kingdom, right, our own little religious kingdom, or it could be our political religious kingdom. We, we could even, even non-religious people, I think, have this religious tendency that they try to play out. You see it playing out in politics today, you know, where if you're not in, you're out. And, you know, we, we play all these little games, right? It, whatever letter you have by your name, you know, you're not you're not worthy of being a child of God. So um, there's a weird thing he says, If you and I love this parable. He says this, there's so much insight in this parable. I'd encourage you guys just to make it your meditation for the rest of your lives. You'll never exhaust it. Same with Ephesians 1 or many parts of the Bible. Uh, the older son says, you didn't give me a goat to eat with my friends. That's weird. Why doesn't the older son want to party with the father? You know, with the son who's come back, the, the, the younger son. Well, he wants his own little thing over here. He wants God to bless his thing, right? And God doesn't bless your thing or my thing. He blesses his things. That, so we have to completely surrender to the Lord. You know. And that's a call to his love. That's not a call to tyranny or anything like that. It's it's a call to being a little child, to believe in our father and to call him daddy and and to run to him. You did not give me a little goat to eat with my friends. So when we hear all this stuff about, you know, God's love, I think we, we have a hard time. We struggle sometimes. But we need to push through that. Push through that. Let God, you know, open your heart, the gentleness of God that maybe you've never experienced um, from your earthly parents or maybe one parent but not the other. You know, there's so many, uh, there's so many versions of it, right? Or you had no parents. What does the father say to the older son, though? Interestingly, he says, all that I have is yours, All that I have is yours. Like we're in Ephesians here, all these beautiful things. You're you're my inheritance. I give you full forgiveness. I give you full adoption as a child of God. You know all the things. He's sealing of the Holy Spirit. I give you everything. Or as Saint Paul says, um, oh, sorry, on the other page. Saint Paul says, all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world, or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. Basically, everything. I've given you everything. That's, that's the response. And then he says, it's right to rejoice when the sinner comes home. You know? And the older brother, we have to, or us older brothers, have to realize that we're sinners. We still need that grace. We still need, that's, you never get beyond that. Need for the cross of Christ to forgive you You know, we exist to be the praise of his glory, his beloved children. We are totally encircled with his divine love, which encloses us and turns us inward and, and turns us to him inwardly. So in our hearts, let's, let's receive that love. Let's receive that perfect love and gentleness that no one in the world can fully give to us. Ho- hopefully we have some people in our lives who, who are an image of that love and that gentleness, and that's a real blessing when God gives someone like that to you, you know, and we should cry out day and night for God to send someone like that to us so that we can, you know, see in human form what Jesus is like, you know, that's that's amazing. Um, that's why we need one another as well. We, But with it, even with that, you know, I mean, I know I think, okay, that's pretty basic. Be open to the love of God. Be open to his... Um, wanting to be your father but we also need to learn object some of us need to learn like object permanence you know the child, the little child uh, uh, my son I remember my son was learning object permanence you know what I mean, like he he knows you're there if you leave, you know they think you're gone you come back and then oh there you are, you know the peekaboo game is like fun forever right? Um, but we need to learn that object permanence just like a child, to know that his love is always there for us it's there in every moment for us it doesn't just, it's not just there when we're doing our quiet time. It's not just there when we're um, at church or when we're at a Bible study or when we're talking to our Christian friends. I mean, it's there all the time when you're at the coffee shop and when you're at your work and when you're, and, you, and um, there's a famous, uh, um, uh, actually, she's a Catholic saint, and she, she was a nun, and she's famous for this one little phrase. She said, her name is uh, St. Elizabeth of the Trinity one of my favorites, and she says, "Let yourself be loved. Let yourself be loved," and that should be like the mantra of every day of our lives, you know. Um, even if we're not lovey-dovey, gooey kind of people, okay? I'm not like that, but I've learned that I need this so desperately bad that I have to really remind myself, you know, all the time and meditate on these realities, and eventually you'll start believing it. Um, by God's grace, we will all, and eventually, um, God, you know, God be praised, you know, we hope that we'll be in heaven, and then we will know it for sure, right, (laughs) so you will know it one way or the other, I will know it one way or the other, but for now, let's just keep inching, inching towards that fountain of divine mercy, um, Let's go, to use a really bad dad joke, let's go sunbathing. Let's just bathe in the Son of God every day. His glorious blessings all around us. The beauty of nature. Everything you see is an emblem, not of God's hate, but of God's love. Of God's mercy, of his tenderness, of his beauty. Every squirrel eating a nut is a sign that he is there and loves you. So you know, receive that. I don't mean just take it easy and whatever, but I mean you know, his yoke is easy. Receive that yoke, that burden, that gentleness. Um, So you know, another another way we could say this is you know, as Jesus said to Mary, uh, he says one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen that great part or as David says uh, you know one thing I've desired one thing I've desired my whole life just to see this beauty of the Lord to dwell in the house of the Lord to just behold his beauty his face towards me and beholding that beauty my friends we we also see our beauty and that's what I want to get at today you are beautiful in him he is beautiful in you So let's hold fast to this word, this scripture. Um, let's not start revising it. Let's not start seeing, you know. Um, There's a funny thing about going to seminary, you know, you learn so much about the Bible. I just kind of want to end with this point because I heard from Kevin about some troubles, you know, in the denomination. Um, and one thing about seminary, sometimes you, you study so much, you start to kind of convince yourself at times that what you want to be true of scripture is true. Because you can find almost any scholar to support your point of view, and some of them are smart enough to make you feel like it's a plausible interpretation. Um, you know, but it's a slippery slope. It's a slippery slope when you start getting into all that, you know, um, you, know uh, you know, well this, this cult- culturally, this meant this and this doesn't mean this for us. And so, and once you start doing that though, eventually we cut ourselves off from that relationship with the Father, from that childlike relationship, from just accepting His authority you know, over us. And it cuts the heart out of our Christian faith. So I want to encourage you guys not to flirt with that at all. Um, you know, hold fast to what the church, as you know, from all time has taught. Uh, and then we will be in a place where we can still be a child of God. We, we don't have to wonder if God loves us or not. We don't have to dismiss the Old Testament and accept the New Testament. We don't have to do any of that stuff because we can see He loves us from the beginning because we can read it together uh, with the whole church throughout time. All right. Well, thank you, my friends, for letting me come. Um, and uh, I know my sermon may have been a tad rambly, but uh, I'm a little rusty. Thanks for having me. Um, and... Uh, Let's just say a quick prayer. Why don't we just say a quick prayer for Pastor one more time, um, and that God would be with him and be with the church as a whole, and um, teach us teach us what we need to know and do. Dear Lord, thank you for your people, Lord. Thank you for just people who want to uh, come to you and love you and and to be loved. To be loved, you know. Um, put your hand over Ke- Kevin and Michaela, Lord. Pray for. Their health and their children and their family, and this this whole congregation, I pray, for your blessings to overflow, your truth, your shalom, your peace, your um, your tenderness will just flow through this this church, um, this group of people, this unlikely uh, you know people you've called to be your children. I pray other people would see in their lives. That they are children of the King. They are children of a great God. And you would use that to draw people to yourself, my Lord. We just love you, Lord. Um, Amen.